Hi, this is Renee Christensen, author of Training Them Wisely, Discipling Kids, and this is the Training Them Wisely, Discipling Kids podcast. If you haven't already, I hope that you will head over to Amazon and check out my new book. I'm very excited today to get to interview Glenn Ransom. Glenn's been challenging families to get back to the Bible and family devotion since 1984. Having made over 8,000 in-home presentations, God gave Glenn many ideas on how to solve the many challenges and excuses individuals face regarding having effective Bible family devotions in their homes. Glenn and Kathy are blessed with six homeschooled kids and three grands and live on their family farm in Northeast Tennessee. So thank you so much for coming on, Glenn. I'm very excited that you are here today to talk to us. And I just want to um, start off. Can you tell us a little bit about your family? Well, Kathy and I um, are blessed to have, we always joked about having six children. We have six children, five of which are now are adults and one left at home that is 15, four girls and two boys. So you've got most of them out of the house, one left at home. Yes. yes. And you homeschool your kids? Yes. We initially um, thought we would go K to six, but as things progressed, we saw the benefits to keep going. And um, Kathy, Kathy gets the credit there. She's she's pulled the the weight of the load on homeschooling all six. Yes, I definitely pull the weight of the load in our family. <laughs> My husband pulls the weight of the load of bringing the money in, so that helps. <laughs> um, so one of the ways that you can disciple kids is by having a good work ethic. And by doing that, by being a servant leader. So what does being a servant leader look like to you? Well, it was funny when you posed this question to me, because I had to think back. It was probably in the late 80s or early 90s, the organization I was working with, we were tasked with writing a new mission statement. And that mission statement was heavily influenced by our director of training, Joe Martin. And basically what we came up with was... um, I am a service-minded leader. And then we had definitions out from each of those key words, service-minded and leader. And it was funny because we were doing this a long time before it became so popular and so many buzzwords. Um, For us, service means I have a servant's heart. I was reading in my daily devotional time, I think it's around Luke chapter 20, 22, around in there, where Jesus was talking to the disciples about, they were arguing about who's going to be first and where they're going to rank and where they're going to sit. And he was saying the opposite about serving and just having that servant's heart. But to me, a servant's heart is somebody who's not, who one who does not care who gets the credit. Um, but wants to see things accomplished or happen to impact lives, to help transform people. Um, that would be my simple answer. Yes. Yes. So that they're, they're more care. They're caring about other people. You know, they're doing that from love, having that servant's heart, like Jesus had a servant's heart and was so willing to serve for us. Um, so you said it has three words for service. What does that one look like? That one, our phrase is, I have a servant's heart. And service is just trying to 
make sure that everybody in the process is winning. We, for 40 some years, basically I trained entrepreneurs in sales and leadership and management. And we believed heavily in Stephen Covey's principle of negotiate, win-win. You've got to make sure everybody in the circle is winning because if anybody's losing, it might work for a little while, but eventually it's not. And so from Zig Ziglar, I was heavily influenced to think about helping other people get what they wanted or get what they needed first. Because he said, if you'll help enough other people get what they want or need, then all of your needs will be taken care of. And I don't know, for me, I was heavily brainwashed into trying to think about that customer or think about that person I was training and trying to help them recognize what God had given them, mm-hmm. capitalize on it and use it to the fullest potential. Yes. And I can see how that would work really well as a parent child relationship, because even though we are the parents and we know more as a parent, you are serving your child all the time. And it's something that we need to be willing to do and want to do because we need to, because it needs to be done in love. We need to recognize their value as a little person running around, but really and truly as a mom, that's what I spend my day doing is serving my kids. (laughs) And I love to be able to serve them. Um, And I think that I really think it just, yeah, it comes back to that, that heart attitude that we have as we're serving others, because as a mom, I could choose to be resentful and think that I need my time, my you know what I mean? And put myself first, or I can choose to see their little faces every day and be like, oh my goodness, it's Christmas morning. Every day I get to see your faces and I get to spend time with you. And God gave you to me as this blessing and I get to serve you. So I can have a different attitude because just depending, because with seven kids, just making lunch can take a while, (laughs) honestly, even if you have sandwiches, by the time that you make that, and I could choose to have a good attitude with it and do it in joy, or I can choose to serve and be miserable. I'm going to be serving anyway as a mom, but it's, you know, it's that heart attitude as I'm serving that I actually want to serve them. And that I realize that it's a joy to be able to. Well, one thought that crossed my mind just now, I've been in over 8,000 homes. I ball I ball with a lot of parents and grandparents and the Bible says that children are a blessing. But there's a lot of people that I've run into. There's a lot of people I've interacted with that view children as a burden. Yes. Um, there was a situation probably 30 some years ago where the couple found out they were expecting. And within 24 hours, the engineering husband had figured out how much it was going to cost to get that child to 18. And it was a sad situation. but. I know a lot of people are like, well, I don't have any kids. Some people cannot have children. They would love to, but, or they want one or two and that's fine. But like for us right now, because I'd been in all those homes and I'd seen, it was like having the opportunity to sit down in a class we called life 101 and seeing the answers to the test before we had to take it. Because you saw people in all seasons of life. You saw them 90 years old to being born. And you saw death and life and marriage and divorce. 
and you saw so much sowing and reaping. And honestly, Kathy and I never dreamed we'd have six children. It was honestly kind of a joke. We thought we'd have, you know, two or three, maybe four. That was um, us. <laughs> but if if you focus on the cost, if you focus on the pain, if you focus on the demands, then my instincts and experience suggest that you're going to probably have fewer children. But if I looked at it the other way around and I thought, okay, this one in my family has no children. This one in my family has three. This one has adopted one. This one um, has two that both um, sadly were, were taken very early in life. And I've also been taught a principle that maybe it's another Stephen Covey in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that book principle, but begin with the end in mind. And right now, my dad is 88 and in very good health and very sound mentally. And my mom just turned 85. And we've been going down the dementia road for the last two years. And and um, we've got caregivers here, nine to five, to help us and to help dad six days a week. But my mother's sisters, who are all older, there were five girls. Um, some of them literally have no one. Like there's no child. There's no, there's nobody there to help. Um, some have, you know, one or two helping, but I don't know, beginning with the end in mind, that principle, and this is going to sound selfish, but I'm just being transparent. If, if somebody's really thinking it through and they're selfish and they're thinking all the way through life, if you have three or four or five or six or seven or eight or 10 children, um, depending on how you've trained them, and that's where the, the hook is and, and whether or not you've done everything in your power to help, if this is allowed to be said, God to capture their heart. I think your social security looks a lot better later, but when you've got the average American having one point something children, you can do the math. If something happens or somebody gets transferred to California or out of the country, when things happen as they do in life, there's no one there. There's no support. And a lot of the, we have a lot of friends that are public school friends, private school kids, and a large group of friends that are homeschooling friends. If you're training those children early, and I I, I believe in early, I, I think I've been taught that um, over 65% of a child's adult mental capacity is done by the age of two. And by the age of six, you're over 85%. So I just look at the parents and go, hey, um, you need to get it right. Yeah. Or six. Before they're 13, and, their biblical world, their worldview is established by age 13. So right. those first years are very important. Well, if you lay that foundation right, and and so many people are like, well, it's just a child. And 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 I'm like, I think I don't know if it was maybe Dave Ramsey or Charlie Tremendous Jones, but he said you give a kid a dollar and it's no big deal. It's a kid and it's a dollar. Or when a child earns that dollar, 
you can teach them to tithe. You can teach them about taxes. You can teach them. <laughs> I remember uh, playing Monopoly with our two oldest children when they were, I don't know, they may have been eight and 10. And Rebecca, our oldest, who's now an accountant in the accounting world, has her master's in that. Um, she ran out of money. And she felt like the game was over and she was sad. And I said, well, I said, I could loan you some money, but I clearly explained the terms that just to keep it simple, I said, it's 10%. Um, when, you know, you get done with the loan, you owe me 10%. So if I loan you a hundred dollars, then when you pay off the loan, you've got to give me 110. And she wanted to stay in the game. So, and I, but I clearly explained the ground rules. and. When she got back on her feet and it was time to collect the loan and I wanted the 10%, she was traumatized. I mean, literally traumatized. She was like, that's just not right. You gave me a hundred. And I said, yeah, but you used my money. You had use of it. You helped get, and, and she was, it, she was scarred. I mean, literally scarred. Sarah was kind of scarred too. Number two, she was glad she didn't get a loan, <laughs> but it was like, if you, if you give them a dollar and say, it's just a child, it's just a dollar. That's where your problem starts. To me, it's, it's how things start. And so being with all these families and being in their homes and honestly, most of the time, what we saw was what you didn't want. Yeah. You saw what you did not want to be married to. You saw what you did not want as a marriage. You saw what you did not want as children. You did not want as a life, but there were a few families um, maybe one a day that you would just be like, okay, freeze, time out, like, stop. Like, how did you meet? How did you find your spouse? Like, what, what, what are you feeding these children? What, like, it was just like, freeze and tell me how you're doing. Or if I would meet a couple and they'd been married 40, 50, 60, sometimes 70 years, I'd just be like, okay. I'm not married, um, pen and paper in hand, talk, like, what's the key? And I don't know, I feel extremely blessed to have had that opportunity to, we called it picking so many people's brains, but picking their minds for what worked and the kind ones would also describe what didn't work, maybe where it just all hit the fan. And because you can learn from success and failure yes, you can. Mm -hmm. and for me i believe it's just critical what you do those first six years because yes. my the last part of that point i was trying to make was if you disciple them if you train them properly there should come a point where they start adding horsepower mm -hmm. to your family mm -hmm. um they can dust, they can vacuum. Um, Rebecca had a knack for when I started my, when I went independent of Thomas Nelson and brought the division here to Northeast Tennessee, it was just me and a laptop. And my dad had been in banking. He'd been president of some banks. He said, he'll do the books and he'll do the customer service. Only one problem. He had never turned on a computer. And so I brought a tutor in from the high school to teach my dad. That was 2001, 
2002 to teach him. And she literally started with Mr. Ransom. Here's the on button. And I thought, oh, <laughs> Rebecca at 12 is sitting on the edge. Perched like a little bird absorbing everything. And then I brought a specialized tutor in on QuickBooks Pro. And again, dad was trying to write down everything on three by five cards and struggling to remember what was next. And Rebecca was just absorbing it. So at the age of, by the time she was 14, she was running the books of our business. She was honestly doing more work than three adults used to in the office. And it was like a game to her. It was like a challenge. It was, she got to where, and, and working in the office with me, she'll tell you, it can get warm. It can get hot because when there's a job to do or we've got something to do, it's all hands on deck. Let's get it. Let's get it done. And by the age of 14, she was running the books of our business. An accounting firm in Colorado tried to hire away from me at 16. I'm like, what do you, you get? Go, go train your own. Um, but we had a college visit um, and she went through lots of business classes for a couple of days and she was in an accounting class and they were talking about QuickBooks Pro and they were like sophomores and juniors and Rebecca was still in high school and she was perplexed because the juniors and the sophomores and juniors didn't know the answers. Um, but Rebecca was like, and the teacher was like, yes. And Rebecca knew the answer and they were just like, what is going on? Um, I, I don't know. I just, I think the more we can give them practical, applicable skills and training. Um, That's truly valuable. I mean, those are yeah. valuable skills. My daughter, Kara, she's 14 and she is actually doing my social media for me. I've got sure. new products that are coming out and she and Rebecca um, really helped with some of the design parts of that actually. And just, yeah, it's amazing to see. And when you talk about the the end, looking towards the end. So for me, when I had a 20-year-old who was leaving the house and had a baby at the same time, had a newborn. <laughs> yes. And talk about, I mean, I know that that's not the end of life. But for me, it was just yesterday that my, she's now 25, that my 20-year-old was a baby and it really, for the last two babies having, cause she was also, she was, she was an adult whenever the one above him was born as well. So really those last two, but especially when she was actually moving out and I had a baby, it made a difference realizing that yes, parenting is a marathon, but it also is so quick. And I mean, there was a very big difference in the moments that I treasured with my last two. It just. It felt not that I didn't treasure it with the other ones. I mean, I enjoyed it, right. but I was much more aware. You had a different perspective. Of, I had a very different perspective. I told told my husband, it's almost like, not that I was a grandparent, but I <laughs> mean, more of that kind of perspective of, right. I don't know, because you just realize how quickly it goes. And it just made me very much so realize too, how important discipleship was. It really well, woke me up to it. I've always thought it was important. I've always discipled my kids. But seeing that there's a kind of an end date of where they're moving out, it just made it even more important to me that they're discipled. So, yes, I, I encourage I encourage the parents. I'm like, don't blink, like literally don't blink because you'll blink. And I think. Oh, well, I don't even I probably shouldn't go there, but. As smart devices developed. 
And then I watch more and more a smart device, a tablet, a cell phone or whatever being handed to an infant. Mm-hmm. Well, that goes to your servant's heart. Whenever I'm you're just doing like, something like that and you're not spending the time with your child instead, that does, that has something to do with having a servant's heart towards your child. Well, I get it. It entertains the child, but it what it's doing to their brain and, and yes. physically. Versus and, you serving them as a parent in a different right. way than this. Mm-hmm. But we tend to think, well, they can't communicate that much. They're picking up so much stuff before the age of two. It is unreal. We are not being trained. We are not being taught. I don't care if it's homeschool, private or public. I don't believe we're doing enough training on the critical importance of before the age of two, dad and mom, and before the age of six. Because in my mind, Kathy and I were so focused on that before six not to say that there wasn't stuff we're doing after and every day. Hopefully we're influencing each other. And as they mature, they're adding more horsepower and they're giving another perspective and they're influencing us. Um, when I was 16 or 17, my dad looked at me and he goes, there's soon coming a day where you're going to be teaching me more than I'm teaching you. And I'm thinking, like that in my mind, that just wasn't going to happen. I couldn't imagine a day where, I would be given dad advice. Like I'm very blessed with my parents and very thankful for them. Um, and I know I'm very, very blessed to have had them as my parents, but I just believe that if you, I'm around a large number of people that really focus on those first formative years. And when you do that, right, it gets easier and easier and easier. Um, if you don't, get it right. And there are going to be some listeners that say, okay, I'm in that category. I didn't get it right. There's still hope. God can transform any of our lives at any point. But if you don't win the battle before the age of six, um, more times than not, I've seen a, an extremely challenging it is situations develop. And stats show that it's more challenging. Like I'm very thankful that God is not a God of stats and he can have those outliers. But yes, it is such a critical age, such a critical age. So service-minded. Okay. Service-minded. Our sentence for minded is, I think, and solve challenges. Um, An emphasis on using this six inches that God's given us between our ears and solving challenges. Um, right now with so much going on in the world, a lot of people are singing, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the end is coming, you know, Lord, just take us out of here. I remember as a child, they taught a lot and preached a lot on prophecy and end times. And I was, I was convinced I would probably never be married, never have children. Um, you know, it's just the church circles I was around. Um, and then two or three days ago, I read a quote. Um, from Paul Harvey. I want to see if I can find it real quick. Um, uh, He said, in times like these, it helps to recall that there have always been times like these. And I'm like, exactly. But we're bad news sells and the media, whether positive or negative media, is wanting to sensationalize and 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 hold our attention and and have news twenty four seven, 
And I'm like, there's always been problems. I mean, in what was 1890s, we were going to lose all the whales and lose whale blubber and their oil was going to go dark because we didn't have oil for our lamps. There's every five, 10 years, there's something else, a a virus, something. And I don't know, right now I'm being challenged a lot to think, okay, God is on the throne. Mm -hmm. He is in control. He's not surprised by anything. Um, The verse that stares at me on a pillar in my office um, is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Uh, The American Standard Version says, in nothing be anxious. And as near as I can tell, every time I've looked up nothing, nothing means nothing. Nothing. I mean, that's a pretty simple definition. In nothing be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication. And here's the key. With thanksgiving. Yes. Let your requests be made known to God. Yes. And as I hit challenges, as we all do, and I mean, they, they can come pretty fast and furious. Um, am I thankful? Yes. And many times uh, we had a situation um, during the creation of the Bible and stories where there was a deadline at noon the next day and we were nowhere near it. Mm-hmm. And in my quiet time early that morning, I um, was on my knees and I'm like, Lord, We have done everything (laughs) that we can humanly possibly do. And we're not going to make it. I mean, and I know a lot of people (laughs) and I have a lot of connections, but it wasn't going to happen. And still to this day, I cannot tell you how that deadline was met, but it was met by noon and the project stayed on task um, because if we miss that deadline then we wouldn't have the the books in hand in the time which we had to have them um and i just we'll save it till the end but that'll bring us to the verse that's currently the most on my mind but (laughs) minded means i think and solve challenges it means engage your brain Mm -hmm. engage the brains of others and think it's amazing we i trained college-age students for 36 years and one of the hardest programs, according to most people in the world, that exist on the planet. They went door to door showing books and Bibles um, to families. And they worked 75 and 80, 85 hours a week in six days. And um, Sundays we got together for church and reports, turning in stuff. So, I mean, there were plenty of times where they were working 90 and 100 hours. And when they would hit challenges, which was frequent, we'd be like, okay, first thing, think. Like think, well, give me give me three solutions. I used to tell the students, you can you can bring me any problem, you can bring me any challenge, but you must bring me three solutions. And I remember a girl, um, we won't name her. I love her to death, but she comes to me and she's like, "Okay, Glenn, I've got this challenge." And she said, "Whatever you do," she said, "When I get done explaining it, you cannot do this to me." And I just kind of grinned and because I, I knew what I was going to do. And she explains it and it's really complex. And at the end, I just kind of grinned and she's like, no. And I'm like, held up three fingers. <laughs> and she's like, well, I could do this or I could do this or I could do this. And I said, now, if you give me three just dumb ones, I'm going to be like, <laughs> three more. <laughs> three more. 
And because God gave me that challenge, God gave you that challenge, God gave the listener that is listening today that challenge because with his help, you may not be able to handle it. It may be over past your pay grade. It may be past your load limit, but it's not if you go to him. And many, many times I was talking to a widow lady that is here in our neighborhood that we love dearly, and she's a prayer warrior. And she's got a lot on her plate. Her family's trying to get her to move um, back to be closer to them mm -hmm. and lost that train of thought. Um, back up, Renee, and give me that sentence where I was a sentence or two ago. My mind will click back in. About the the widow lady that you know and love. the one Right, just three, before that. The one with the three and then the three. And if it doesn't work and you have to think. Oh, right. I was just saying, describing to her impossible situations that were humanly impossible. There was no way that it was happening. And time after time after time after time, God's showing up. And many times for me, it's been in that quietness. It's been in that stillness of the really early, for me, it's a really early morning, blocked off, set aside. It's an appointment. It's a place. It's a time. It's yes. a, and just spend time with God. Yeah. I would go there. And I'm not a creative person, but he would just start giving me answers. Yes. And I'd be like grabbing a pen and I'd yes. be like writing down yeah. like crazy because I knew it wasn't in my head. I had never had these thoughts before. I didn't know what I was doing or I was in way over my head or I was in what many trusted experts and mentors around me said was impossible. Like it, you can't do it. Like it is like, Glenn, I can't do it. And and I know you, I mean, no offense, but you can't, it can't be done. And in my mind, when I'm in those situations, I hear them, but all I'm thinking inside my head is, so what you're telling me is it's impossible. Like but you can't do it. impossible with God. I, I can't do it. <laughs> and so that only leaves one option and that only leaves one person that can get the credit. But the second part is minded. I think and solve challenges. We were challenging them, training them, mentoring them to think, Yes. to think, and then to look at everything as a challenge. I think it was Dennis Waitley in a set of his motivational audio tapes years ago, back in the eighties. I think it was the psychology of winning. But if I remember right, I think it's in the Chinese language, the symbol for opportunity and the symbol for crisis or trouble, it's the same symbol. It's the same yeah, picture. I remember and, it, mm -hmm. and it means something like opportunity, opportunity, riding a dangerous wind. And it's easy for me to get bogged down or, or think, woe is me or the world's on me. And when I'm thinking and, and when I choose to be anxious, it's my choice to be anxious. It's my choice to listen to the enemy um, or it's my choice to listen to God. and go recall verses and quote them over and over again until I run off the, the negative thoughts of the enemy that are trying to control the six inches of critical space. Um, yeah, I think that's great. And just to, you know, we want to train our kids to be able to think that's something that, you know, whenever I teach them, I can teach them math facts. I can teach them 
But that the one thing I want to make sure that they know how to do is think. And I want them to be able to back up their beliefs with scripture. I want them to be able to find those beliefs with scripture. And when you said about the anxiety and Thanksgiving, I've been through Paul's letters now four times in a row because I've taught them. Then I went through and did a podcast on them. Then I taught them to another group of ladies. And now I'm teaching Colossians against it four times in a row. I've been through them. And the one thing that really kept sticking out to me is his anxiety and Thanksgiving comparison. And that's actually, I'm about to write something about that. Um, Just basically like a journal where we're writing things that we're thankful for each day. Pretty much that with some of the verses that I've seen, because it's a repetitive thing that Paul does point it out. And it really does make a difference. I've had my kids when they've been stressed or anxious, first of all, whenever you're stressed or anxious, it's actually pride because you're not choosing to be humble and rely on God. And so just thanking God instead, you know, so that you can then think more clearly, you can solve the problems that you need to solve. You can turn to who you need to turn to for those problems. And I want my kids to see me having to turn to God for solutions. I want them to see me having to, to follow what his word is. And so that's been something that I've actually been very much so has been on my heart. And um, I read a book by Israel Wayne. I don't remember the name of it, but it's about stop pitching a fit, stressed out, stop stressed out, angry parenting. And so ever since I've read that book, I'm like, okay, soon as I get stressed at all, no, we're going to stop. And then because of what I've been reading in Paul's letters, make sure that I'm thankful. But right there is a challenge that you're solving and thinking through it as you're. So my kids have been watching me do that. So being a leader, you lead by example. As a parent, you're definitely leading. And whether you like it or not, your kids will be following your example. So the way that we're leading as parents is so important. So talk to us about servant leadership. Okay. If I'm allowed, I want to go back because there's two other ideas that hit me yes. that I think will really, that can be transformational with all your listeners. And you mentioned it a minute ago. When the, when the kids are facing a challenge, I had a sales manager and he basically said, students would come to him, they would ask a question, he would give them the answer, and they'd go off and do it, and it'd work. But in that situation, what were you doing with that intern? What were you doing with that student? Or in this case, what we're talking about, discipling your children, what are you doing with your children? When they come to us, and, and, and a lot of times you know the answer. There's a lot of times, though, you don't know the answer. You don't know what's right. You don't know what's best. And a lot of parents won't admit that they don't know. Um... But when you're when they're asking a question and you're popping off an answer and they're asking a question, and you're popping off an answer. They're not having to think they're not having to exercise their gray matter. And who are they developing confidence in? They're developing confidence in the answer giver. Yes. And so when you. Don't just I know this, the fast thing is just give an answer and then here's what you do. Here's what you here's they saw that. Okay. But, and if you're raising children, you're on track, keep it up. But if you're wanting to raise adults, I remember my first summer being in a house and they said, oh, no, 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 no. Our goal is not to raise children. And I'm like, hmm? and they're like, we're raising adults. And I was like, oh my, that would change everything. Mm-hmm. But from working with all the students, with my children, sure, I've given them many answers and I, I've, failed and I've stumbled many times and there's many things that Kathy and I didn't do right. However, 
there are many times where I would be like, well, what do you think? Or well, what would you do? Let's say, let's say you're not 12. Let's say you're 32 or you're 40 and you have a 12 year old child and they have this, what would you tell them? And what I'm trying to do is get them to think yeah. and then to develop confidence yeah. and also encourage them by my example and by my words, like, have you asked God for help? Like, mm-hmm. have you prayed? Like, what does the Bible have to say about this? Um, and again, I, by no means have I done that all the time or been perfect. No, many times I've been frustrated or I've been tired or I've been upset. And the training goes out the, you know, what what I know to do, I don't do. Um, and I just think for the parent or grandparent that's listening, Sure. But there's a side of us that, you know, we want to be the, we want to be the, the answer person. We want to, you know, have all the answers and that's setting, that's setting a bad precedent in motion. That's not going to work out well later in life. They need to see us humbled. They need to see us stumped. They need to see us reaching out for wise counsel. They need to see us begging God for answers. They do. Um, Sorry. Okay. So now no, I agree. The- and they need to make sure that they can find the answers with apologetics. That's what I do for my children. I ask them the questions. Yes, I have answers that I can give them, but I want to know them because I want it to be their faith. I want it to be their understanding. I want them to know where to find things in the scripture for themselves because I'm not always going to be here. Yes, my daughter still calls me all the every day, multiple times a day, honestly, asking me questions, but it's because we have that relationship. But she is off on her own now. There's plenty of times that she needs to find the answer on her own. And I want my kids to be able to find the answers for themselves. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you haven't already, I hope that you will subscribe to this podcast, leave a rating, leave a review. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can visit my website, trainingthemwisely.com. You can find extra resources and information there. And I have a link if you want to ever have me come speak. And also you can follow me on social media, Training Them Wisely is where you'll find me on Instagram and Facebook. So I have tips that I share each day about discipling your kids, verses, et cetera. So I would love to see you there as well.